Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 6, Episode 6, Abyss. A.K.A. Carrie's favorite of all time. I mean, this episode is up there with, like, my favorite television episodes. Like, <gasps> of all, all time? Like, of all TV. Like, oh this episode is just... It's so, it's so good. It's so good. Because it's just two guys in a room doing the acting thing. And they're really good when they're acting with each other. And they just, like, make each other better. And they talk about it a lot in, like, the commentary, too. But, like, the, those scenes between Rick and Michael are just, like, just, just, he just, like, put the camera there and, like, let them go. Like, no directing needed. Just let them do the thing. And it's awesome. And I like love it. Best synopsis ever. Just two guys in a room acting it out. Yup. <laughs> so I need to know about this episode, and we're done. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll still see you next time. <laughs> Wait. What was it called in Germany? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get there. Oh, it's actually pretty good this week. Not oh, okay. It's not bad. All right. it's, it's not like in Ball's Lair or anything. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I just came up with that off the top of my head. I'm on a roll. Oh my god. All right, start at the beginning. Okay, so again, this is Abyss. It originally aired on July 19th, 2002. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Martin Wood. And on the commentary, we have Martin Wood, James Tishner, visual effects supervisor, and da-da-da-da, Christopher Judge. He wasn't really in it that much, but he also did a very good job. He did. They actually talked about, like, this is kind of the season where Tilk starts to have more than, like, three facial expressions. (laughs) I did notice very distinctly that he spoke with more emotion. Yes. And I liked yes. it. Yes, me too. Yeah. Go Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so in this episode, Jack is captured and tortured by the Gould system Lord Ball and must rely on an old friend to survive. Who could it be? I don't know. Let's find out, shall we? All right. So this episode starts with flashbacks to Frozen so that we, you know, we're all caught up with what's happened to Jack, just in case we missed it. Then the episode proper opens on a planet at night with two people running through the woods, and we see there's, like, a gate in the distance. The woman trips and is like, I can't make it! And the man, in that sort of goulded voice, tells her to, like, hide until the Chapa Eye is active, which, so we know this is, like, a Gould or a Tok'ra or something, because they're the only ones that use Chapa Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, he keeps running towards the gate, gets to the, the gets to the DHD and starts dialing when he's hit in the back with a staff blast. He falls to the ground and we see like a symbiote like drop out of his mouth, which is a little like, oh, 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 oh that had to be unpleasant. And then this man is like, you know, crawling, trying to get away. But then a Jaffa steps on his hand to stop him. Another one turns him over and we see that it's Jack. <gasps> And you're left with, why? What? Who? Yes. Hang on. Yes. Intro. Yes. I mean, that's a good cold open right there, for sure. It is. It is very good. Yes. So we come back from the opening credits, and a sarcophagus slides open, revealing Jack inside. We see somebody kind of, like, lean over and sort of, like, loom over him a bit, and then somebody off-camera says, the host lives, my lord. A couple interesting things in the commentary for here. Um, first, they had to shoot all of Richard Dean Anderson's stuff in four days because that's all that they had him for. Really? So they shot, so all of the scenes where he's with other people, they just like shot all of his stuff first and then went back when he was gone and shot everybody else. So basically nobody else is acting with Rick except for like Michael. And even huh. in some of that where you don't see Rick, it might just be Michael, like, with his, like, stand-in or somebody taking his place. So. Huh. And was that due to some sort of, like, scheduling conflict or Richard Dean Anderson was just like, nope, you get four days. Yeah. Well, it was just scheduling because, you know, this was the season where he kind of started to pull back a little bit to spend more time with family and stuff. And they, like, had a trip planned somewhere. So yeah, they they only had four days with Rick. Mm-hmm. You and then love being able to have that kind of Hollywood clout where you're like, I'm going to Tahiti with my family. So you have four days, make it work. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that further complicates that is that they had to shoot everything 
on the three, uh, like on three different sets. Like each scene, like because of like the whole gravity thing, each single set is actually three different sets to account right. for the different perspectives of gravity and stuff. So every scene that Rick is in had to be shot three times on three different sets in like four days. Oh man. So he, if he looks sleep deprived in this episode, <laughs> but it, I mean, it plays into it. So probably they made, they made it yeah. work and yeah. Um, and sort of like speaking of the anti-gravity stuff, one of the special features is uh, there's like the director sort of like behind the scenes production diary thing where Martin Wood goes into detail about how the sets were built and worked and all of that stuff. If you're interested in the the technical aspect of how all of that worked, it was quite interesting. Did they talk about whose idea that was? Because that's a pretty out there idea that worked really well of like, what do we have the cells, but anti alternate gravity cells. So you're actually on the wall. Yeah. The, the script, I have the script for this one. The script isn't quite what ended up being. Like, it, it does detail, like, there's, like, weird things. Let me, hold on, let me see if I can find. Yeah, it just calls for, it says, um, so, like, when they take him back to the cell, it says, Jack falls into the room, literally rolling down the floor toward the far wall, just as he did in the torture room against the grate with an artificial gravity field. We move inside the cell and tilt so that the far wall becomes a de facto floor and the entrance to the cell becomes the open ceiling. Mm. So it's sort of vague, but also, hey, there's a weird gravity thing going on. And so then it just went to the production designers to be like, what do you want to make this set look like? And they're the ones who came up with that. And they did actually build uh, a gimbaled cell that actually like tilted so he could actually like slide down the wall and stuff when that actually happens like in camera That's so fun. yeah mm. it's really cool yeah there's a lot of good technical stuff in like the commentary and the behind the scenes thing in this if that interests you so if that's your thing yes nice so. okay moving on so we then go back to the sgc where there is an incoming wormhole and it's the tokra and hammond's like finally and we see Counselor Thorne come through and Hammond has a go at him because Jack was supposed to be back by now. Where the hell is he? And, well, Thorne doesn't exactly have good news. Uh-oh. Up in the briefing room, Jack apparently just, like, walked out of the Tok'ra base one day and nobody noticed. Uh, there's still a lot of tension between Thorne and the SGC about this whole thing. We get, like, Dr. Frazier's there as well. And she and Sam both bring up that there's no way Jack would have been able to control this symbiote. So... Whatever compelled him to leave was the symbiote's fault. This defends Thorne because that sort of makes it sound like the SGC are accusing Kanan of being a ghoul and Kanan was a brother to him and blah, blah, blah. And he then kind of concludes, but like the Tok'ra do accept that Kanan might be lost to them. And Hammond's like, yeah, that's where we aren't like you because we don't leave our people behind. Ha ha. And there is the inlining theme of the whole episode. Yes. Ha ha. So we then cut back to wherever Jack is, and he's dragged into a room by a couple of Jaffa. They stop at a platform, they push a button, something happens, and Jack gets pulled forward to the wall, which is the floor, because there's some weird gravity thing happening. And it's really cool. And Martin talked about how they sort of played with, do they actually want to, like, somehow, like, prop Rick up on the wall? Do they want to, like, make this like actually have him lying on the floor with the camera above. And they ended up doing it with him laying on the floor because when you are lying on the floor, gravity like, you know, pulls your clothes back and pulls your skin and your hair and stuff. They need definitely need to make it look like gravity's pulling him down. So right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that that set was on the floor with the camera above looking down. Oh, can you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then Lord Ball comes in. <gasps> R.I.P. Cliff, we miss you, dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, Jack and Ball, they kind of, you know, posture at each other a bit, as they're both want to do when the situation calls for it. We then see Ball pick up a knife and approach the edge of the platform, and, like, the tip of the knife gets kind of, like, pulled up, because Ball's just kind of loosely holding it at the end of the hilt. And Ball lets it go, and it, like, falls, flies, something, hits Jack in the shoulder. Once again, Ball asks who Jack is, and he's just like, Jack O'Neill, two L's. Yeah, as he, you know, he always does. And 
Ball believes that Jack still knows whatever it was that Kanan knew. And Jack's like, I think you, I know less than you think I know. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, and Ball asks why he's there, and Jack has no idea, and Ball drops another knife into Jack's other shoulder. What I like about the scene is it's another scene where they're playing with the fun gravity thing. So you know that yes. it's not exclusive to the prison cells. Yeah, it's like this whole base is weird gravity all over it. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It is cool, yeah. Ball continues with wanting to know why he's there. He's obviously been there before since this place is like super duper top secret. He was able to evade the personal guard and he also managed to kidnap Ball's slave. All right, like enough. Jack is over this. The absolute last thing he remembers being sick, the Toker putting a symbiote in him and that is it. But, you know, Ball doesn't care. He's still going at him. Jack still doesn't know anything. Ball doesn't care. He can kill and revive Jack over and over again, as often as he wants. And once Jack tells him everything, then maybe he'll actually let him die, and we get one more knife flying at Jack. Presumably the death blow. Yes. <gasps> Would you like uh, possibly too much information about Ball? Would I? <laughs> Would you? I don't know. I would. Okay. All right, cool. Um, So Baal is a fertility god from the Canaanite pantheon of gods. So the Canaanites are like the people of Syria and Palestine around 3000 to 300 BCE. Mm -hmm. The word Baal itself is just, it's just a noun that means owner or lord that was often used like more generally as like a group of things. Um, Some examples I found were like a ball of wings was just a winged creature. Mm. So um, this is, but so this is B A A L, not B A L L. So correct. I always wondered why they didn't give it a weird like ball or ball, but it's just ball. Ball. Yeah. Daniel pronounces it a little differently when he like he says it slightly more bale a little bit. Yeah. He has a slight anyway, but so but attaching that sort of name or noun to this god figure then gave him the title Prince Lord of the Earth and also the Lord of Rain and Dew, which is helpful if you want fertile soil. So fertility, growth, all of that stuff. That totally uh, fits with him. Yes. Uh, in the Ugaritic and Hebrew languages, Baal was known as the storm god and called he who rides on the clouds. Mm-hmm. In Phoenician, he was called Baal Shaman, Lord of the Heavens. Uh, most of what's known about Baal comes from tablets that were uncovered in northern Syria starting in about 1929, so fairly recently, actually. Oh, um, okay. The main mythology surrounding Baal has him locked in mortal combat with Mot, who is the god of death and sterility. If Baal won the battle, there would be seven years of fertile soil and growth and prosperity, etc. If Mot won, there would be seven years of drought and famine. As with many gods, his consort was also his sister, Anath. He also sired a calf with a heifer. So like, so that's his, so his thing is like the bull horns, you know, it's like his Jaffa thing. So he's associated with like bulls because bulls are a fertility thing too. Yeah. He, he wasn't just a fertility God though. He was also the king of the gods after seizing power from the sea God Yam, who's often represented by snakes. See what they did there. I see what they mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the stories of Ball, like the collection of stories, are known as the Ball Cycle and can very briefly be summed up as such, which um, I, I took this from Wikipedia, so please excuse me. But um, so this is basically a brief summary of Ball's like full story. So Yam wants to rule over the other gods and be the most powerful of all. Ball opposes Yam and slays him. Ball then, with the help of Anat and Athirat, persuades El to build him a palace. Ball commissions Kothar, Kothar Wa Kassis, an Ergoritic god known as the Divine Artisan, to build him said palace. So I wonder if, if this Kothar guy is our ghoul designer. <gasps> oh man, he finally has a name? Ac- when I came across, I was like, that's our guy. That has to be our guy. Finally has a name. Yes. So Baal, who's now the king of the gods and ruler of the world, seeks to subjugate Mott. Mott kills Baal instead. Anat then brutally murders Mott, grinds him up, and scatters his ashes. Baal returns to Mount Zephon. Mott, having recovered from being ground up and scattered, challenges Baal. Baal refuses, and Mott submits, and Baal once again rules everything. Interesting. So that's the story of Baal for you. All right, cool. 
Back at the SGC, Sam, Tilk, and Jonas are talking with Thorin, trying to get information about his, about like the last two missions that Kanan had gone on to see if there's anything that was maybe left incomplete that he may have felt compelled to return to do. Thorin insists that the mission reports indicate all objectives were completed, but the Tilk are willing to reach out to operatives on several of the planets he'd recently been on to see if Kanan had returned there. And they're like, how long does that take? He's like, it might take a couple months. Eh. Just like oh, that's not like, helpful. No, no. no. So, so Tilks then like, can we see the mission reports? And Doran insists that that is not something that would be possible. Just and you can see them start to think, oh really? Mm, okay. Is it now? Mm. Yes. Jack wakes up in a, in the sarcophagus again. He gets dragged on the hall back to his cell where he is shoved inside when the Jaffa touches the device on the outside and the floor becomes the wall as graffiti shifts. So Jack looks up towards the now ceiling that was the door and sees a woman sitting there and she says, is it you? So Who is she? Who is the woman? Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. So this is one of the few times where when there's that shot looking like over her shoulder into Jack, like sitting on the floor, she's actually like laying down on top of like this sort of like rig pole thing that they had built over the ceiling door. Mm -hmm. So she was actually in the shot with Rick for. Oh, fun. Yes. At least when you see the back of her, when you see the front of her, she's just like sitting on the normal sort of horizontal floor set and, you know, superimposed and digitally mushed together thing. So she theoretically was part of the four day shoot. Yes. Yay. So, yeah. So she goes, is it you? And then Daniel says, hi, Jack. (gasps) What? Daniel's there. He's back. Dressed in khakis and a white sweater, which became known in the fandom as the white sweater of Ascension. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't white, white though. It was off white. I know, but so, it's yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, but I thought that was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think it's the sweater from Absolute Power. When he was oh. in that sort of like dream vision he had where he kind of went power hungry. I uh, think it's that sweater. Why do I feel it's, like it's, he's wearing blue? No. No. It was. It's very similar, at least if it's not exactly the same. All right. Or no, not that. There was something, I don't know. And he, no, it was forever in a day, forever in a day when he's having that vision when, like, you know, Share was like mm-hmm. killing him when he's like clearing out his office in that vision oh. thing he had. That's where the sweater's from. Oh, OK. Oh, fun. Yes. Anyway. Um, no glasses because, you know, he's dead. He doesn't need his glasses. Uh, Jack obviously thinks he's hallucinating, but no, even though Jack can throw his shoe through Daniel, Daniel is really there. Well, his <laughs> consciousness at least is there. So they catch up for a bit. Things with Daniel are going good. They're like great evens. Like, okay, cool. Awesome. So can you get Jack out of here? Like, can we go? And it's like, no, he can't do that. It's like, well, he, he can, but he can't. Like, he's not allowed to interfere. And then Jack's like, well, what use are you? So he's there to offer comfort to his friend in need. And Daniel kind of politely asks again if Jack is sure that he has no idea why he's there. And no, he really, honestly, really, really doesn't. Well, something about a slave. He kind of knows what she looks like, but he's never met her. And this is where they start in the commentary with lots of discussion about how well Michael and Rick play with each other and bring out the best in each other when they're doing these talky scenes. And it's, yeah. Did they... Did they talk about it all, how it was having Michael back on set? Yeah, that was, they talked about it a bit. Chris was like, it was great. It was like he never left because they like still see each other all the time anyway because they're like best friends offset. But, um, and there's some stuff too in the behind the scenes where they like interview Michael for a little bit about was that like, was it great coming back and blah, blah, blah and stuff. And yeah, everybody was really happy to have him there. He was happy to be there. So yeah, it was great. Yay. It then dawns on Daniel that no one has any idea that Jack is there. And they couldn't rescue him, even if they did, because this place is a fortress and Ball is going to just keep torturing and killing Jack over and over again until Jack ceases to be of any use to Ball. But by like that point, because of, you know, hundreds of times in the sarcophagus, who knows, he'll cease to be the Jack O'Neill that everybody knows and loves. Anyway, and there's no way Daniel's going to let that happen. He's going to help Jack ascend. 
I found it very interesting that that was where his brain went. I'm like, aha, we're just going to have you ascend because that's the easiest way. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like, that's kind of a big leap. But like, I, but I get it because he can't do anything, but he can help Jack on this path that he took. You know, right. I thought that was, of course, where he would go, because that's what ultimately saved, quote yes. unquote, air quotes. I'm quoting right now with my fingers. Um, <laughs> that's what, you know, saved him. So surely that's the way to get Jack out of this mess. Right. Exactly. Makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> OK. Uh, back at the SGC, Thorin has <clears throat> been invited to be their guest until he's able to provide them with the mission reports that they want. Thorin tries to insist that such a request can only be made in person, but the SGC has every capability of making requests on any frequency that's required, including those that are used by the Jokra. Thorin takes all this as a threat to, quote unquote, the peaceful relations between Tokra and Earth. And everybody there is basically like, fuck the peaceful relations. Like... This is not helping anybody. So, okay, fine. He'll make the request. I do like how they're starting to creatively put their foot down of like, currently our relationship is you take and take and take and do not give anything. You yeah. just come to us whenever you need something. So, no. Yeah. I know if Sam's like, you know, like quotes like, it's Article 9 of the treaty. You owe us this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like this is actually in writing. So you need to make good on this. Yep. Back with Jack and Daniel, it's time for Jack to release his burden if he wants to do this whole ascension thing. And Jack's like, right, you're getting a little too Oma there for Jack. And Daniel's like, no, no, Oma would say, you know, if you immediately know the candlelight. I know. I was like, it's our favorite. (laughs) If you immediately know the candlelight is fire, the meal's cooked a long time ago. Jack just replies, though a candle burns in my house, there's nobody home. (laughs) which I love (laughs) such a good reply. So good. And it's just like this ascension thing, like isn't going to be something Jack can do, but maybe Daniel can help him find another way out. Just like go do like a little recon or help him get a Zach gun. And like, even that's not something Daniel can do. And they start getting into it because Jack just wants Daniel to do something to help in some sort of tangible way. But Daniel can't. There's then like a sound of sound off screen. It's like, okay, the Jaffa are coming back and Jack's like, great. You can distract them because they can see you. Right. And Daniel's like, no, but he'll be back. Promises. Jack looks up to see the Jaffa at the ceiling door. And when he looks back, Daniel's gone. The gravity does the weird thing. And Jack like slams into the floor that used to be the wall. Cause he wasn't ready for it before being dragged out once again to be brought before bowl. <sighs> ball. Back. Yeah. Back at the SGC, they're going through mission reports, and Jonas comes to the conclusion that whatever motivation Kanan had for heading out to wherever he is had to be personal. All the reports claim that the official mission objectives were all completed, so there had to be something so profound as to risk his life and the life of his host. What could it be? Don't know. Hmm? I wonder. Uh, Jack is being tortured again, but this time with acid instead of knives. And this time Ball, like, is asking about, like, the name of the Chokra. Jack doesn't know, and even if he did know, he would say, because he doesn't give a fuck about protecting the Chokra. Ball, like, picks up a bottle of acid. Jack, er, threatens Jack with it again, and Jack's just like, Kanan! It's Kanan! That was, that was the name of the Chokra. And Ball picks up another bottle, and Jack's like, but I, I told you what you wanted to know, right? I told, why are you doing this? And turns out this other bottle is, is sort of antidote of some sorts to the acid like it like neutralizes it so see like there you tell ball what he wants to know and good things can happen weird weird positive reinforcement yes uh sadly jack doesn't know anymore and well that's too bad and ball pushes the button and jack drops through the gate and falls a very long way down a very long black hole Drops back into the cell and the woman is there again and she tells him that he shouldn't have come back and if they leave together, he'll know. Then, okay, this scene. This is the scene where, like, oh, shake this. This is the scene with all the feels. This is is it. Well, this one and the other, but, like, this is where it, like, really starts to get in. So Daniel's there, the woman's gone, and according to Daniel, like, she never was there. But Daniel's back and Jack's like, then 
do something, like do something because Jack just like, they like Jack can't understand where Daniel's coming from because if the roles were reversed, Jack would have blown this whole place sky high to save Daniel and it just keeps escalating to, you know, Daniel's like, you wouldn't do that. Jack's like, yeah, hell yes, I wouldn't, blah, blah, blah. And he gets to the point where Daniel's like, you're better than that. And Jack's, that's where you're wrong, is just like, it's so good. It's so good. So good. (laughs) Sorry. It is a very delicious acting moment. Yes. It's like, we know Rick is good with like the quippy, funny bits and stuff, but when he gets his like, chance to like really sink his teeth into stuff like yeah he yeah it he knows what he's doing and I love the writing in this because it's it's all you know it's one of those moments where obviously Jack doesn't like exploring himself and his thoughts and his feelings and whatever so the only time that stuff ever comes out it's it's like one of those Rorschach things when you're having yeah. a fight and all of a sudden something comes out and you're like I didn't even know that was there <laughs> yeah yeah there's a bit um in the script book where Brad Wright talks about it apparently he started as actually like a playwright like he didn't start mm-hmm. as like a television writer or anything and writing for stage is very different than writing for television and these scenes really do feel more like a play where it's just it's like five pages of two guys just talking at each other which doesn't really happen in TV a lot. And like a lot of people are too afraid to do stuff like that. And Brad's like, but because that's where I started, he knows how to do that, but also then make it for TV. Yeah, Yeah. it was, it was a very good progression. I liked it. Yes. So Daniel then tries to sort of talk Jack through why he made the choice that he made. And while that was just about his physical body at this point, they're also talking about Jack's, soul and that ascension is his only way out of this and there's that like that's it and jack's just like actually there is another way for me to get out of this and they kind of like stare at each other mm-hmm. and i'm gonna be honest it took me probably a few too many times of watching this episode to understand what jack was talking about oh really yeah i did not get oh. it right away i don't know why it just it didn't click for me oh but um yeah so Jack wants Daniel to kill him. That's that's the other way out of this. Is oh, just I thought I thought it. he was going to find a way to kill himself. Well, either just let Ball kill him, like for good, but that's horrible and torture and stuff. But Daniel can just end it for Jack and make whatever Ball does permanent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. But yeah, that that's no, that's that's not something Daniel's gonna do. He's not gonna do that. Jack keeps pleading. Ball's gonna come get him, kill him again. Daniel can make sure it's the last time, but he's not not gonna do that. But then you know, he had the Jaffa coming, and Jack's like, I don't want to see the cell again. And it's like thing things are getting desperate here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back at the SGC, they're still trying to figure out, like, what's going on, where Jack is, what might have happened. Sam is then struck by an idea. The mission where Kanan went undercover in Ball's outpost, he used Ball's Lotar to get a lot of the information he needed about this place. He was even able to get access to Ball's personal chamber. And Tilk's like, well, why would he do that? Just speaking about the Lotar. And Sam's like, why would she do that? Turns out his Lotar is a woman. <gasps> what? Rise. And you know, sure, maybe Kanan was just using her. Maybe there was actually something going on between him. But, you know, that's not something that would be sufficient motive for Tokra to do what Kanan has done, like just run off back there. But the relationship between a Tokra and host is much more truly symbiotic, and Kanan would have been, as Sam says, confronted with every thought and belief that makes the colonel who he is and be forced to judge himself by that same code of honor, including the fact that they don't leave their people behind. (gasps) What? Full circle. Full circle. It all comes back. Now we get it. Now we know what's going on. (sighs) Now we know. So back with Jack being tortured. The woman, who we now understand to be the Slotar, is back, and she's now very close to Jack, and he looks, like, so strange to her now. And then 
uh, Martin talked about the scene didn't really play out as they wanted it to because again they didn't have enough time but he wanted like her face to actually morph into Ball's face like in camera rather than like cutting away to Ball Mm. they just again they just didn't have the time and also like logistically if Ball was that close it wouldn't have worked because the gravity thing and yeah so yeah that's what it was like supposed to be um and I mean, it's, it's not bad, but it's just, you know, it's one of those things where the person who has the vision is like, it wasn't quite it's my vision. It's not my vision. It wasn't my vision. Um, so Jack, he's, he's like, he's completely resigned at this point. He's basically given up. He doesn't know anything. He won't know anything. But Ball still believes the information is in there somewhere and he will get it out. <gasps> there was also a talk in the commentary about just like how good Cliff Simon is as Ball and how, because he has, he kind of has a completely different approach to, like, the ghoul that everybody else has had up to this point. Like, everybody else has been sort of very big and loud and bombastic. And he's just like, I'm just, I'm all powerful. I have, why, why would you not be afraid of me? You don't know what I can do. I know what I can do. I have nothing to be afraid of. It's that sort of quiet menacing thing. Yes, you he's know? very good. Yes, mm-hmm. and about how, like, when he smiles, there's still that, like, a little sparkle in his eye that kind of nobody else really has as a gould. It's like, yeah, like, he smiles and you're like, don't smile. I don't like, why are you smiling? <laughs> like, stop yeah. smiling. It's, like, even more, it's even more menacing somehow than, like, yeah. not smiling. Um, he is my favorite. Yes, mine too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back at the SGC, the three are trying to convince Hammond and Thorin that Jack is in Ball's Fortress. Thorne seems hard-pressed to believe that this is all because Jack would never leave somebody behind. And Sam manages to kind of talk them around and convince them that, yes, that is what's going on. There's there's no other place for Kanan to have gone. And then they move on to trying to let Hammond, like, let them go and rescue Jack. And Hammond's like, no, I've studied the plans. There's no way anybody's getting in there. Even a big force, small force, like, there's nobody and no way to get in there. Plan so, B. Plan F. Plan, plan, I, plan M, I think, at this point. I don't know. Well, no, that's the hardest thing to get to naked in Plan M. It's not Plan M. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> so we can then, again, get Jack waking up in the sarcophagus, but it's a slightly different shot than we usually get where the camera's actually, like, inside the sarcophagus, like, looking sideways at Jack. So we get just a slight, slightly different perspective because this is a thing that's happened a few times. Let's make it a little different. Uh, he gets dragged back to his cell, you know, falls to the floor and just sits there like completely devastated and alone because Daniel's not there this time. So how long do we want to assume Jack's been there and or how many times has he been in the sarcophagus? I honestly, I don't know. Um, I think in the script it says that like in the mission report thing that like it's supposed to have been like they've been up all night reading the mission report so for them it's been like a day 36 hours but again they didn't notice jack was missing for some unspecified amount of time so i a few days at least yeah but i don't know but mm, yeah all right we then cut over to Tilk, who is in Kelnoreem, and wakes up seemingly with an idea. Uh, he goes to General Hammond's office, and he's like, you know, I've been thinking about how to rescue Jack, and he believes it would take the power of a ghoul mothership to accomplish such a thing. And Hammond's like, too bad we don't have one. And Tilk is like, but there are a lot of system lords that do. Hmm. As he mentally strokes his devious beard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Jack is being tortured again, and still the only thing he knows is Kanan's name. He then starts calling out very weakly for Daniel, and my heart is just being torn out of my oh, chest and sad. stomped on. Like I'm surprised that Ball just like let that one go. I'm just like, oh, it's delirious. His mind is it? instead of being like, oh. Who now? What now? Who is this? What? Yeah. What information are you giving me? Yes, that was interesting. But he was just like, you're crazy. Let's put it back. Yes. 
back at the SGC, the Chokra are threatening to cut all ties with Earth, which at this point, fuck it, they don't care. The SGC's done with the Chokra fuckwittery and all their shit, whatever. So basically what they've done is send the plans to Ball's outpost to Lord Yu along with like a message of some kind. There's no way to know for sure that he'll do anything, but the other system lords have long known he's had the secret outpost and they don't like it. So Tilk seems quite sure that you will take out the power generators. Well, me? You. You. Lord me? you. No. Oh. Not you. You. Oh. Okay. So. Okay. And, you know. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> and so taking out the power generators, I mean, it won't do much, but it will at least give Jack a fighting chance. And that's all he needs. Yay. Daniel is then finally back with Jack. He's sorry he was gone, but there was something he had to do. <clears throat> wonder what that was. Uh, and Jack. Okay. What was it? Because he's just been observing this whole time. He sprinkled little things like salmon took. So he was supposed, we're supposed to believe he was behind was them. He was having the their mental, their mental yep. realizations of, hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was not made nearly enough apparent if that was supposed okay. to be the idea. Okay. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Jack, Jack, is just, he's done. He can't do this anymore. He needs Daniel to stop this, to end this. If he goes back, he's going to tell ball the whole truth because he, he kind of, he remembers now he came back for the Lotar. He was in love with her and he came back to get her out. And Daniel's like, it's going to be fine. You don't have to hold out for much longer. There is, as as Jack says, there is always another way out. And Jack's like, what? What did you do? Daniel's like, I, it wasn't, I didn't do anything. It was all Sam and Tilk. Even Jonas helped a bit. You know, they, they thought of something. Mm-hmm. So there are then some, like, far off sounds of explosions. And Daniel's like, this is, you know, it's your fighting chance. And then we hear off camera, Jafal yells, Lord, you attacks. So, Me? No, not you. Lord, you. Yeah, Dang it. Sorry. Jack looks away. When he looks back, Daniel's gone. The room starts to change the orientation again. Lights are flickering. Jack, like, braces himself as the room tilts back to, like, upright. Heads towards the door to his cell. Jafal approaches. He takes him out, grabs his zat, starts making his way through the halls, and comes across the cell with the Lotar in it. He stops, begs her to come with him, and she's like, I know, and but grabs her hand and off they go. The screen fades into white that looks like that sarcophagus lighting fades out into Jack lying down, but it turns out this is now a bed in the infirmary in the SGC. Yay! Uh, I, I like that, you know, they have the transition of, yay, he's okay, but I very much feel like that was like, we don't have any more of a budget to actually show a rescue, so we're just going to be like, everything is fine! <laughs> Cut to everybody's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, we've seen people fight, we've seen SG-1 and Jack and everybody, like, fight their way through Jaffa to the gate for how many years now? Like, that, that's not really the important part of the story, Right. Like, I just I just found it pretty funny how that yeah. because that's usually like the climax of like the big moment of like the reunion and they get him or like oh there's somebody that pops out of somewhere and you have to get in is he gonna be he's gonna jump for the doorway is he gonna you know there's always like some sort of yeah. big moment like that and this time they put they had none of it they were having nope. none of it nope <laughs> nope yeah. So uh, so the rest of SG-1 are there, and Jack might have some withdrawal symptoms, but he should be fine. We find out that the Lotar was named Shalon, and she's decided to stay with the Tok'ra. And Jack's like, hey, I'm trying to sleep here. And they're like, oh, my God, you're awake. It's so great to see you. We're glad you're back. He thanks them for the help and asks for some water. And as they all head out, the camera then pans back to find Daniel by Jack's bedside. <gasps> and, Yay. And he's just there to say goodbye. Can't stay, not not even for Groundhog Day, unfortunately. But no. Jack's gonna be fine. His journey's not over yet. Daniel's gonna be fine too. Sam comes back with a cup of water, and Daniel has you know floated off wherever he goes. Jack thanks Sam for the water. Then he looks up at the ceiling and thanks Daniel. We no. fade to the end. So 
The most interesting thing that I think about this episode is Daniel really could. They, I mean, they don't have anyone else see him. Daniel could have been just Jack's coping mechanism. But he wasn't. I know, but he could have. Like, but he wasn't. But you could think about it either way. I guess. You know, but then they, have where fan, they have all those fan theories where they're like, no, 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 this person was just in the other person's mind the whole time. In this one, you really could think of it that way, that he was just his coping mechanism. No, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is what you are having none of. I'm having none of that. No, nope. That is not what happened. He was there. Nope. He saved him. He was awesome. Yes. yes. Michael Shanks was in the room. Yes. And, like, they, they did talk a bit about how they took inspiration from the episode Ascension with Orlin, where, like, whenever Daniel appeared, it was just, like, he was just there. There was no sort of, like, effect or, like, noise. Yeah. He was just, he was just there. And they just did, you know, the old tricks of just having, you know, Michael Shank standing, like, right next to the camera where he's, like, off screen and then the camera pans and then, they bend, you know, and then he moves and the camera pans back. And there he is, like. There were no, like, yeah. special, there weren't even, like, special effects for, like, Michael suddenly appearing. He was just standing slightly out of frame. And then there he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Shanks was nominated for a Leo Award for Best Male Guest Performance in a Television Series. What is with all these nominations and no wins? I know! Criminally, criminally under, under-awarded. It's, what it's such a shame. Happening? Because it's science fiction and blah, you know. Ugh. Ugh. Fine. Yes. So the title um, Abyss, several meanings, I think, could apply in different meanings, depending on what you take from this episode. So the most common one is, you know, an immeasurably deep chasm, depth, or void, which there is that big, you know, thing behind the grate that Jack was laying on. Me being tortured. Yeah. Uh, in the book of Genesis, the abyss was the primeval chaos out of which the earth and sky were formed. Which, you know, God's ball, you know, chaos stuff. Um, but also, it is also the abode of evil spirits or hell. So, oh, Jack, yeah. I would say Jack is definitely in hell, yes. In all of those things. Yes. So, um, just, a, uh, just a couple fun foreign territory titles. Most of them were just Abyss and whatever language it was. But in Czech, they called it Cell, as in like the cell that he was in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in German, they called it On the Brink. Really? They and actually yeah. got creative with this one? They did. What? Yeah. On the Brink of what? Death, life, decision making, everything. All of the above? Yes. On the brink of the abyss. On the brink of <laughs> yes, on the brink of the abyss. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jack falling into you know a mental abyss of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we have uh, an email about this episode, spe- episode specifically, and then a comment about Nightwalkers last week's episode. Which would you like to go through first? This one. Okay. So, all right. This comes from Andrew in the UK. Hi, Andrew. So, um, he actually sent this email in like a month ago, sort of like preparation <laughs> for this. Oh, that's fun. So uh, it's obviously a big episode for the fandom, but also a very emotional episode, too. I find it difficult to put into words, so feel free to ask clarifying questions. So I feel this episode shows what the show is really about, the friendship between Jack and Daniel. Bold statement, but all, all the core storylines and characters hang off their friendship. The Gould storylines would never have happened if Daniel hadn't saved Jack from suicide in the film. Thusly, Children of the Gods could never have happened without the friendship. Those could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. The way I think about it is that Jack is man who has had to do difficult things for the greater good. Daniel is Jack's guide and conscience, reminding him to do the right but difficult things and helping through backlash too. In that scene where Daniel is offering him ascension, but Jack is begging death, we discover that Jack doesn't believe he is a good man despite everything he's achieved, and he wants death to escape the idea that he's not good enough. He doesn't want the strength to release his burden to ascend. He wants to believe he's not good enough. Even his guide and conscience, Daniel, cannot convince him otherwise. This tells us that everyone has this voice inside that whispers that you are not good enough. Even with people who have ascended friends like Daniel have these feelings. These feelings are normal, but rarely spoken about in public. 
The saddest part of the story is that Jack probably would let Ball kill him if the rest of SG-1 hadn't hatched a plan to help escape. This parallels the truth that everyone can have these crises. Most people get through it, but sadly, some don't. So here's the tricky part of the email. Suicide, which, yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. Mm. The story implies that Jack was ready to commit suicide via letting Ball kill him. Jack was lucky and had support to get out of the situation. Not only would this hammer down the theme of the episode, but it shows people who are struggling that it is possible to get past self-doubt. Yeah, so what do you think about the sort of the feelings of inadequacy and Jack not feeling like he's good enough? Like, I mean, I I think like, you know, like he says, everybody has those periods of being like, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. It's, it's, It's a difficult thing that everybody struggles with at times. Right, but I mean, even though that scene we talked about was so deliciously written and played out and acted beautifully, we knew that about Jack's character the whole time. You know, he feels like he's he failed his son, um, yeah. you know, and he's been dealing with that the whole time, all of the stuff that he had to do in his career, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't really as much of a shock to the audience as it was to him to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Because we had seen him go through that and kind of feel that way about himself, like, the whole time, really. So, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just FYI, um, there will be a link in the show notes for, like, international mental health helplines if anybody is feeling bad about themselves and needs help. There are people out there who are always willing to help. Please reach out and, you know, find the support that you need because there will be somebody there to help through it. Do you think this episode would have been made more or less interesting if Jack had decided to try to ascend and just kind of got interrupted with the rescue plan? I think it would have been funny which I don't know if that would have played well with the whole torture stuff. Because mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I think I'm, I'm kind of with Jack that, like, Ascension while cool is not, like, a Jack kind of thing. Right. You know? And I think he probably would have, it would have, I think, yeah, gone a little too comedy-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, would not have played well with the rest of the events of the episode. Right, yeah. They very yeah. much wrote these really well to their characters. Oh, yeah, very much, very much, yeah. 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 And, um, like, Brad had talked about that, like, as soon as Michael said he was leaving, like, he immediately, like, got the idea for this episode. Or maybe not exactly this, but something, like, something that would be important enough to bring Daniel back. So Daniel wasn't just like popping in to like say hi all the time kind of a thing. Like it needed to be something big and something important. So it felt big and important for Daniel to be there that it is a big deal when he shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Should we move on to question feedback? It's about Nightwalkers then. Yes. Yes, we should. Okay. Uh, This is from Murden on the Discord. Uh, It's a question I had about Nightwalkers after listening to the most recent episode. On the show, at the end of the episode, it says that the ship was moved to Area 51. It's slightly unclear about how big the ship actually is, but from the brief shots of it, it looks like a significant size. How would they actually move something that big? Moving under its own power? Probably not practical as it's not finished. Moving by sea, possibly as it's being built in the docks, but probably not to Area 51 as Area 51 is in the desert. Moving by air slash land, probably too big without dismantling, and dismantling probably not something you want to do, otherwise it loses its value. Also, as a side question, how would they have gotten the materials to build the ship, or were they using leftover materials still stored in the shipyards? So, how do you think they got it to Area 51, and where did they get the stuff to build it? What do you think? Ew, I like the thought of experiment of trying to figure out how they moved it. I immediately thought they found a way to take it apart and put it back together because it wasn't a completed ship anyway. Yeah, probably trying to, you know, keep it in as like take it apart as little as possible while still like making it like manageable chunks 
to get in right. like a truck or a large cargo plane right. of some sort. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe they were able to tow it by like, you know, cause they were on the coast a bit further somewhere maybe, but yeah, I, I, I do think some dismantling probably had to be done. Yeah. That's what I had pictured in my brain. Yes. Um, so what about where they got the stuff to build it? I, well, because it would have had to have been all earth materials. I don't think they were yeah. getting it from anywhere weird. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just kind of figured they were getting it from the shipyard or discrete places. What, was it a mining town? I don't remember. Um, It was, no, it was just like the shipping stuff. Oh. So, I mean, you know, import, export kind of stuff, maybe. So I just, I don't know. I just had this funny thought about like, you know, purchase orders for the company that randomly had like 500 tons of steel on it. Yeah. Yeah, Who knows? Adrian Conrad is who knows how rich and everybody apparently in the company now is a Gould. So would it really matter who saw purchase orders, made purchase orders? I don't know. But there would have to be some paper record of some kind because I have to get the supplies from somewhere. I don't know. I just imagine, you know, the Gould who's in accounting going, what did they order now? (laughs) (laughs) The same one that goes to the bar every night. (laughs) That is so funny that they're all hanging out there. Yes. (gasps) Accounting Gould. Oh, (laughs) somebody had to be doing it. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway. How did, okay, I may have completely missed this about the episode, but where did they actually get the plans to build it? I think they just drew them. So, okay, so So they had it in their inherent gold gene memories? Yes. Okay. Something. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Genetic memory for the win. Yay! Yeah. Okay. I think that's all I got. Any final thoughts? On Abyss. None. It was brilliant. Yes. It's the best. Love it so much. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at SG underscore free watch. And now on Discord, please check the link in the show notes. Or you can send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G, rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Shadow Play. Bye. Bye.